0: I just want to do God's will. The kind of revolution that the world needs is a Christian revolution. If you want a miracle, you've got to expect it to happen. You are the recipients of God's grace and
1: God's blessings, and you rejoice in that reality.
0: Welcome to Life Today Live. I'm Randy Robinson, and it's always wonderful to have you here, whether you're watching us live or in the replay if you have been around very long you know that life is not always that straight line to your destination Uh, there can be some detours some curves a long and winding road and oftentimes uh, you know it's not your fault Uh, things happen maybe you're in the wrong place at the wrong time the victim of a crime or someone does something to you maybe it's a natural disaster or maybe like today's guest You get a blood transfusion as a teenager and contract HIV and hepatitis. Totally not fair. Can you make sense of these things? Can these things actually have some meaning in these back and forth parts of our lives? We're going to talk about that today. My guest is Shane Stanford. and It's been a while. He's been on our broadcast program several times, but it's good to see him back again uh, and at least... On Zoom, and uh, he has a, a book called Journey Wise, which is also the name of an organization that he founded. He's also the CEO and president of the Moore West Center for Applied Theology. So this is someone who has dedicated his life to, to understanding the, the Word of God, uh, teaching it, um, but yet it, even he has had some uh, some. Just some stuff that you look at and you go, where is, where is God in this? Does this make sense? He's going to talk about that. Shane, great to have you on Zoom here on Life Today Live.
1: Well, thank you. Like you said, I've, I've always loved this program, been on several times, but uh, uh, very, very glad to be back. So, I've always thought a lot of the ministry that you guys do, well,
0: and I appreciate that. I don't think I was doing television when you were here last. It's been it's been a while, so uh, I, I get a chance. I don't think
1: yeah, it's been almost fifteen years. Yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> so, well, well, how have the last fifteen years been since we've seen you? What's going on in your life?
1: Well, you know, interestingly enough, at the last time I was on, I was talking about my memoir that I wrote at the time as a an aging uh, hemophiliac and HIV positive person. Uh, And it was called a positive life. I had just taken over as a senior pastor, a pretty large church in Florida. And I remember your dad saying, you know, you're pretty young to to have a memoir out. And I said, well, you know, given my track record, uh, we thought we should go on and do it. Well, I've I've got 15 more years now to talk about. <laughs> in that time, <laughs> in that time, um, I left Florida and went to to uh, pastor a church, Christ Church, in Memphis, Tennessee, and pastored there for over a decade. Uh, saw all three of my grown, uh, my children grow up. I now have two married daughters. I have a daughter at the University of Arkansas. And, uh, you know, and of course, uh, we just had our first grandchild two weeks ago, so wow. I'm absolutely in heaven, ah, uh, still completely. dealing with a lot of medical stuff, have a lot of, a lot of issues, but, uh, God's been good to us.
0: Well, congratulations on the grandchild. I have one and a second one we just announced yesterday on oh, the way. Wow. So I get that. And, you know, there is, there is an incredible sense of fulfillment in that when you, when you hit that point in life, but. There were times where you didn't know if you'd ever see your children get married or your a grandchild, weren't there?
1: there? Oh goodness, many times. In fact, when I was when we decided to have children, we didn't think we could have children, and then a, a process came along that we could have children without making my wife or the children at risk and uh, we did that and then did it two more times <laughs> and uh, but I, I always bargained with god Randy. i mean i, I was saying with well, god if you'll let me see them get to school you know yeah. please i'll do whatever you need and then once they got to school if you'll let me see them get through high school mm-hmm. and so i was really good at that bargain but i uh, h- ended up having a couple of situations uh, i had art surgery as a 36 year old the medicine i was taking for my hiv caused a, a 99% blockage in the lower interior descending, which they call the widow maker, mm. and uh, had to go in for emergency surgery. And they didn't know if they could control the bleeding. And so there were two issues going on. But then the last 10 years, uh, up until three years ago, I struggled with liver failure. And uh, the hepatitis finally kicked in. And uh, we went through 108 weeks of chemotherapy in three different uh, places and eventually the last one worked. Hmm. And, uh, it ended up, I had a very rare genome, uh, genotype that, uh, really is only found in Europe. I've always thought I was royalty Randy, but that may prove it. But, um, you know, and so they were able to, to address it from a different angle and they cured the hepatitis. And See. so I'm cured from hepatitis today.
0: Wow. Wow. So I, you know, as I said, in my intro, sometimes things aren't fair. This seems just really unfair. Like you didn't you didn't do anything to deserve this. I mean, how do you, have you struggled with that idea of, of what, what the heck? Why, why would, why you know, me I, in a, in a, in a sense that's not self-pitying either?
1: Well, you know, I, I struggled with it at first. Uh, I was told when I was 16 and told that I probably had two to three years to live because I, we knew when I probably had contracted, it was about five years earlier and the time was six to 10 years is what you would live with it at the time. Mm. There were no medicines out for HIV. You would just you you would become immunocompromised and it would full go into full-blown aids and i had what they called full-blown aids twice technically because my t cells fell below 200 mm. which is the strength of your immune system but i'll tell you that those years of living with that secret you know not being able to tell my pastor or our church because we didn't know what people would do when they found out i was hiv positive even yeah. our christian family yeah. Um, you know, it really caused me to realize the importance of every day. And so I very early on began to focus on the fact that none of us are promised tomorrow. The death rate hovers at 100 percent for just about everybody. (laughs) And uh, and so I really felt like that if I could make the next day matter, Mm -hmm. that I would be okay. But I'll tell you, Randy, what really changed it, uh, what got me out of the any any inkling of the pity party, was when I started volunteering as a pastor at Duke Hospital uh, for in the infectious disease ICU. And I would actually was holding the hands of people dying of AIDS. Mm. And I realized that, you know, the you know, and I, I can't tell you the number of people who came to know the Lord in those days. And it was always a remark of we never talked about how they got it what we talked about is the fact that God could do something amazing in their life. And then for eternity, they could spend with him. And Mm. so I really got out of that whole conversation and and I don't really go back into it much with, with a whole lot of folks.
0: I'm curious though. I have, this is sideways from the book, but if you're dealing with people in in AIDS in the hospital, you know, a lot of them came through homosexual contact with you. Did not, Uh, did that, what what did that do? Because you know, in the church, um, well, I mean, we, we, we believe that homosexuality is a sin. And so there's, there's maybe some theology that may go along with that. Like you got what you deserved or, you know, that kind of thing. Did that, um, what did that do as far as your compassion for sinners? If, you know, at you.
1: first it did have an effect on me. I, I'm, I'm going to be completely honest. I, I, I thought about that. I grew up a, uh, you know, a really faithful Baptist boy. I mm-hmm. ended up becoming a Methodist preacher, but, um, but very evangelical and, and very much living into that. In fact, the church I pastored in Memphis, uh, just disaffiliated and went to be part of the new global the Methodist church mm-hmm. over, over those issues. Mm-hmm. But, um, and the thing is, is, and I worked through the last four years of my time there through that process. I will tell you, though, what happened is once you are there with someone who's gone blind, who's gone deaf, who is in absolute agony, there's no pain medicine that can cause them to feel better. You realize that there's two things that no one should have to do alone, and that's no one should have to pray alone if they need to pray with somebody, and no one should have to die alone. Mm -hmm. And so I got to the point where death was so overwhelming and it was so palpable because I was... I thought I was watching and still may be watching I Had watched what I will go through one day. Mm. And so I walked away from there going, you know, I'm just going to be the love of Jesus to them. That's all I can do. And so pretty quickly, all of those ideological conversations kind of ran out of me and I, I've told people before, you know, in seminary and theology school, if you, you really should not graduate from theology school, unless you do a clinical pastoral education. Mm. And I'm not just talking about AIDS. I'm talking about dealing with people who lose children or people who have cancer or people who go through any type of physical struggle. You really need to realize that's going to be 50% of your job when you get out there in the world, representing Jesus as it was, is Mm -hmm. when he, you know, his story. So you know, I, I I battled with that honestly for a short time, but then, um, the Lord kind of took that away from me because he had something very specific for me to represent.
0: Yeah. Uh, I I do think that, you know, we, we should hate sin because of the consequences of sin, but we absolutely absolutely have to love people. And to one of the points in your book, journey wise, uh, Jesus, you know, Jesus said, blessed are the merciful. We all, we're only saved by the, you know, through mercy that we receive, uh, what have you learned about the importance and significance of not just receiving God's mercy, but extending that mercy to others?
1: Well, the thing that you realize when you study the Beatitudes is that Jesus is saying mercy is reciprocal Hmm. and it's reciprocal in balance. Hmm. So the more merciful you are, the more mercy you receive. Hmm. And that's the word he uses in the Aramaic to talk about mercy and it's, a, it's an interesting concept because I think of, you know, full atonement, full grace, full mercy, but I don't think that's, I don't think he's talking about eternity as much as he's talking about the mercy you receive as you live. Mm. And he's not just talking about the mercy from God. He's talking about the mercy you get from when you make mistakes with other people mm. and in other circumstances. And a lot of that mercy does have to do with the more you, it's, it's like a seed, the more you st- Plant it, the more you will harvest, but the less you plant, the less you harvest.
0: That's interesting. It was Aramaic and not Hebrew in that case, or um, Greek in that well, case?
1: Well, it, it was Greek. It's definitely <laughs> it, Greek, but Greek? you know, we, we're thinking Jesus is talking in the Aramaic, and usually that the dialect he would have used in the Aramaic had such strong Hebrew tendencies. So uh, you can't, you can't take the red letter words as I've been taught so many times over the years without thinking through the Hebrew, the Aramaic and the Greek, as you know. And, yeah. But I think a lot of people today think Jesus, you know, spoke in King James and they don't realize <laughs> that, you know, there's something to the language and there, to the word study.
0: <laughs> there really is. And, and I, I think, I mean, cause I've been, I've been, I've struggled with that, you know, the language, linguistic things, and the contextual things, but I, I, that's why we have the Holy Spirit to guide us into all yes. knowledge. Um, I, you, you have had to, even as a theologian, um, one who studies, and and I absolutely believe. I mean, you know, in the in the Jewish culture, uh, what, what did what did Rabbi Sobel tell me? He, he said something along the lines that the greatest form of worship is study uh, in the Jewish mm-hmm. culture. And no. I thought that that is very interesting. So i believe in study, but at the same time, uh, we have to have that, that teacher to, to guide us. Yes. And I'm, I'm guessing that for you, it's not just been the theology. It's the, it's the application of it. Like you talk about getting out in the real world.
1: Well, I, I had a, uh, I've had a wonderful mentor my, my the last 15 years of ministry a man by the name of Maxie dunham who is pretty legendary in the methodist world and um and, and he actually worked next door in the office he was my senior pastor emeritus and i'll tell you that 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 relationship was so important but he told me something the first day that we started working together he said everyone should have a teacher and everyone should have a student and he called, he said because you know paul had barnabas but that Timothy had Paul. And so every part of our life, for the existence of the journey, you should not stop learning, but you should also be prepared to start teaching. That's interesting. And that really made a difference to me because that made it meant I want to be clear on the things that I say I believe because I don't want to just say, this is what I believe, but I want to be able to say why I believe what yeah. I believe. Yeah. And, and and I've got a young man that since he was uh, the youth uh, preacher. Uh, he was 16, did the youth sermon at our church. He's now pastor at a church in Nashville and was my intern every year as a high school or a college student, a seminary student. We finally brought him on staff. And, um, you know, and I've watched that relationship and that's meant so much to me.
0: You know, I think most of us think, oh, well, he's a pastor. Of course he should do that. I, I really think that that's important for every believer. There should be some, we should always be learning. Uh, and willing to learn, but we also need to be pouring out into others. So an interesting, actually
1: right. where, where the Hebrew principle is, is you start that within in your home, Yeah. you know, that yeah. you start that with your children, you know, yeah. that, um, you're listening and at the same time you're teaching. Yeah. And, um, uh, and, and I think that's, I think you're exactly right, right? Yeah.
0: Yeah. All right. I want to talk more about the journey, wise the book, uh, which is available now. If you want to follow up and get this great resource, because um, you, you're, you're focusing on the beatitudes, and you know if you've been in the church for any period of time, you've heard dozen sermons on beatitudes. But <laughs> there's so much depth there. I, I it's interesting because I've talked to I mean I've I've talked to so many people, and and they reference either part of it or they're teaching on the whole thing, and and there's always something that jumps out that's unique that i mean it's it's really is alive i'm curious as someone who had studied it before as you were writing this book is there anything that jumped out at you that you thought well you know i hadn't really thought about it like that before
1: i think the first thing that hit me was the fact that there are actually seven beatitudes and there's an eighth beatitude that is a reaction to the first seven you know there's seven last words i wrote a book 20 years ago called the seven next words because there's seven um, co- corresponding words that Jesus speaks after the resurrection that he, that correspond to the words on the cross, uh, and then we found that there are uh, some references to beatitudes in Revelation, and so there's this this idea of seven this this me, this idea that Jesus taught this these values and they just sort of ranged all the way through his teaching through his life and they're going to continue for all all eternity. Uh, I thought to myself, "Well, there's eight beatitudes. What's going on here?" And I discovered that the first seven are, n- namely, sequential. They work on onto each other. You start by emptying yourself, poor in spirit, destitute in spirit. You then have to talk about the things you've invested your life in. Then what? So what are you risking to lose? That's mourning. And it goes on from there. And then the eighth one is basically Jesus saying, "If you've done the first seven, you're going to be persecuted." And you should consider yourself blessed if you're persecuted for my sake and for following me and for doing these things, because that is the symbol of how you've lived your life faithfully following me. And I think that is one of the most profound things that I learned was that this, these are not just poetic verses that Jesus decided to add at the last minute and at the start of a great sermon, Um and they're better than keychains and refrigerator magnets where beatitudes a lot of times end up. Uh these are profound theological values, wisdom values of the teachings of Jesus.
0: Yeah. And you know what I love about it is that it's not a book that thick. I mean, yeah. it's very straightforward. You know, you you could memorize it, right? And you would yes. think, boy, all the wisdom, the wisdom of God, it's got to, you know, fill this room. With books and and yeah, but he simplifies it. Someone's asking. Yeah. I'm, I'll go. I'll go a little off track here. Someone's asking if you saw the portrayal of the Beatitudes in the Chosen. I have not. not
1: I uh, I'm only in the first season oh, okay. right now. Oh well, and you so, got a lot to
0: look forward to. It's, yes, I do. I, it's, it's my best
1: friend, my best friend who is working with me now, he's a physician. Loves the Chosen, and we're working with a group that does the Chosen to do something at Museum of the Bible. And so I've yeah. gotten to meet some of those folks and they're fantastic human beings.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. Uh, but, but Randy, I don't know if you, if you know how I came to, to focus on the Beatitudes, it was because of my grandmother,
0: yeah. uh,
1: the one who kept using the phrase journey, journey wise, um,
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, she, uh, uh, she died, uh, about 15, 16 years ago. Oh gosh, 18 now, as I'm thinking about it. And, uh, we found in her Bible next to her bed where she died, five different translations of the Beatitudes, King James, New New NIV, New American Standard, uh, Revised Standard Version, and one other. Uh, I want to say it may be the Living Bible. She didn't have the message very much, and um, so I took them. I didn't ask the cousins if I could take the Bible. That became an issue (laughs) later, but uh, took the Bible, took those five uh, Beatitudes, uh, put them up uh, on the wall in my office, and for one year read each of those five translations every day, Hmm. and and really, God began to sow in me the what you just said about them. These are more than just, you know, p- you know, pithy sayings, poetic verses sitting over to the side that you can just say and move on. You can't move on from the Beatitudes easily because each one of them says something very profound.
0: Yeah. And, and it hits you. I, I think it, you can also go back to it. In other words as you know, you know, the things you've been through in your life, I'm sure they read differently at different times in your life, not because they changed, but because we're on that journey yep. and, and we're just at different points, but the, it's nice to have that foundation of wisdom that is true no matter where you're at in your journey.
1: You Yeah. The, the first one is the one that seems to come up the most for me, uh, blessed are the poor in spirit. And uh, I've heard a lot of people preach on this one and Interestingly enough, the word that Jesus uses for poor is not the kind of poor that I have been with three children and two in college and all of that. It's a destitute poor. You have absolutely nothing. Blessed are the person who is person who has absolutely nothing in their spirit, because he means then that gives space for God to fill up every corner of it. And he's saying you have to start there. The others are not doable unless you allow God to fill up as much space as possible in your life. And I tend to revisit that one because I tend to be pretty, I, I love to tell God and give him advice on things he should be doing. And God is always telling me, Shane, I think I've got this, but emptying myself enough out of self-interest and self-guidance uh, to trust his word to fill me up. that That's one I revisit almost every day.
0: Yeah. And that that's interesting. Um, about six weeks ago I was in Burundi, which is, along with south sudan the the poorest country one of the poorest countries in the world uh, we went to the poorest parts and that's you know what economists call abject poverty and you realize oh yeah there's a difference between the poor in america and the poor in some of these uh, you know undeveloped countries i mean literally you know nothing maybe a a mud hut to live in and but you know the water is whatever they can find and it's awful and the food is scant there there is a a a poverty that is a whole different level and on a spiritual level that sometimes and i think this is what the scripture is pointing to um we we have to be so empty of ourselves before we can really experience the fullness that god wants to give us and and i think the blessing is for they shall be filled, you know, uh, and, and then it's good. It's beautiful thing. Um, and I think,
1: I think it's the struggle that we deal with Randy with materialism, you know, in, in terms of the material world, you know, the more we have things that we're focused on that are become gods in our life, the less God is able to show us. And, and I do think that, um, that I think God does have a predisposition for the poor. I think that's clear in the new Testament and old Testament, but I don't think that, I think that he's talking everyone, no matter what you have or don't have needs to become destitute in spirit.
0: Well, and it gets down to self, it gets down to self-reliance, you know, if I've got everything I need, I'm comfortable. And I don't rely on God as well. uh, Johnny Erickson Tata said that Mm. she feels like she's blessed in her inability to even take care of herself, you know, in any capacity because she's reminded every day how much she needs God. And she actually says that, that she's in a better place than most of us because we don't, we're not always so aware that we need God every single day without him. We can do nothing. Uh, and I have felt that
1: same way a lot. I bet you have. Life. I bet you yeah. have.
0: So here's, here's a question because you write in your book that, uh, every you know, broken winding road leads back to Jesus. And I know for a lot of people, if they're on a broken winding road, they don't feel that way. What do you mean by that? Well, I,
1: what I mean by that is that like proximity. I think the word that you need to really get in your head there is proximity because Jesus tells us if we go down great roads, he's there. If we go down not so great roads, we, we all we have to do is look up and he's there. And the reason the common denominator and regardless of whatever road we go is the fact that Jesus is there from the beginning through the end. He, mm-hmm. He's not the one who's having trouble connecting. It's always us. And I tell people all the time that proximity is not just about distance. It's about awareness and God's not far from you. Uh, You're not far from God in terms of God's presence in your life, but you are far from God awareness wise Mm -hmm. and being able to receive that and to live in that and to trust in that. And I've discovered that, you know, every time I rejoice, I feel the power, the power of the Holy spirit there to celebrate with me when I am at my weakest guess what? I feel the power of the Holy Spirit there to, to be with me. And I think it's about becoming aware of that proximity. Uh,
0: does, is gratitude a key component in that?
1: Absolutely. I think thankfulness is one of the key prayers that Paul talks about, Peter, and just about every other person through the Bible. I think gratefulness is the overflow from the awareness. Yeah. The more you're aware, the more grateful you are.
0: Yep. Yeah. And, and, and I think maybe that could be a good uh, sort of barometer a test if, if you're if yes. you if you don't feel grateful even in the twists and turns and the, the pain and the suffering if you don't see the things to be grateful for i think you've maybe lost sight of the fact that god is with us emmanuel god with us jesus left he sent the holy spirit because it, it would be better and that has to do with presence uh, yes so yeah but a good reminder. totally agree good reminder totally agree yeah. Well, all right. This is a, a great conversation. If people want to follow up, you can go to shanestanford.com. Uh looks just like that. Got his beautiful grandfatherly face on it now. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so uh, much. And then of course <laughs> the book is called Journey Wise, uh, as well as the ministry. Um, I appreciate the, the conversation, the openness. Is there anything you want to add before I let you go?
1: I just hope people know how much, god loves them mm-hmm. no matter whether they know it or not uh, we wesleyans believe in something called prevenient grace and so even for those who've not had their eyes open god's there working in their life we believe and loving them and i just would hate for anyone to go through life and deal with anything like i've dealt with and not know jesus i don't know how they do it mm-hmm. so i encourage them
0: yeah boy oh, that's good i appreciate that thanks good to see you again man Thank you. You too, Randy. I appreciate you being on. I appreciate all of you guys Bye. watching. If you want to encourage somebody, that's what that shares button for. Uh, share button is for. So hit that and say, hey, this will encourage you on your winding road. If you haven't liked, follow or subscribe, we invite you to do that. Appreciate you guys being here. We'll see you again next time on Life Today Live.